Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name's Scott Jennison. I'm the Acquisitions Manager here at Streamline Property Buyers. Um, and great news today, we've got another special guest, Kent Lardner from Suburb Trends. Last time we spoke to Kent was back in episode 130 uh, on the 16th of November in 2022. Welcome back, Kent. Wow, thank you. Great to be back. Yeah, it's a pleasure to welcome you back. Um, Melinda Jennison here from Streamline Property Buyers. And as always, I love talking to fellow data nerds and no disrespect meant when I call you a data nerd, but basically anybody who loves data, who filters through data and interprets the meaning of data um, becomes my best friend on the podcast because that's what I love to do as well. Scott, obviously, will keep it real, but um, I believe you have some really interesting information to share with us today. And there's there's nothing um, that's more disturbing in property markets all around Australia right now than um, affordability issues. And today we're going to really dive into some rental affordability issues. And um, Suburb Trends have been doing a lot of research behind the scenes. And this is a lot of new information that's going to be available um, in the coming weeks. But Kent, you're going to give us more granular information about Brisbane Tell us a little bit about um, the data that you've been working on. Yeah, so to date, I've been usually working out a, a couple of metrics I use, typically uh, rental medians and tracking how that changes. I think a lot of people do that. Uh, we obviously look at uh, vacancy rates, uh, fairly standard measures. But the other one that's really come into the to the fore now with my measures, uh, affordability, big thing. So typically what I've been doing to date, I've been looking at the median household income at a, either a suburb or a, an SA2 level, a statistical area two, looking at that median and then comparing that to rent. So typically then it's expressed as a percentage, the percentage of household income allocated to rents. Now, I've always kind of held out, I thought, okay, yes, I knew or expected that the average household income may not be a necessarily accurate depiction of the rental cohort. Uh, went and did some study and found that typically a number of studies identified that the rental cohort earned about 20 to 25% less than the typical average for a suburb. So what I've done is I've taken that one step further and I've taken advertised rentals, taken their lat long, their geo coordinate, and I've paired them not to the suburb, but to the statistical area one, the SA1. Now the SA1's the smallest, most granular neighborhood that the ABS will divulge the census information for. So I've taken the household average household income data for the SA1 and then paired that to the rents. Now I've done a couple of extra things as well. I've given the average household income a haircut by 20%. So a little bit conservative. Rather than the 25%, I've taken a 20% haircut and then I've indexed it up. So going from the August 2021 census data to current, I've indexed it up by 5.2%. So in effect, rounding about 15% less than what's stated in the ABS data uh, for that SA1 is the assumed household income I've used and then applied that to the advertised rent for properties. Deep breath. And then what I've done is I've plotted that on a map just for one week. Where I will go with this, I'll turn this into a monthly press release. But I, I did an experiment, put it onto the website, and it really uncovered some interesting stuff. The most interesting thing 
what I did is I plotted, only plotted dots on the map where the household income or the allocation of rent was less than 30%. So what this map tells you is where there's massive gaps, where there's you know lots and lots of suburbs with one or two dots or no dots at all, there's a problem, a mm-hmm. significant problem. So I'll pause there and, and reflect on that for a moment. But what we have is an affordability crisis and it's been amplified by that adjustment to household income for renters. So what I love there, Kent, is that you really have allowed for so many different scenarios. You're indexing based on uh, inflationary pressures that may have occurred since the last census data. You're shaving 20% off the household incomes for that SA1 to account for the fact that typically tenants earn 20% less than owner-occupiers in that particular location. But you're looking at current advertised rents and you're allocating or determining whether there is an index of affordability. Anything under 30% is considered affordable. Anything over 30% is considered uh, more difficult for tenants to be able to afford. We often talk about on this podcast uh, the fact that not all property owners are impacted in the same way as interest rates increase. But the same can be true for investors or rather tenants who are occupying investment properties. Not all uh, tenants are going to be impacted in the same way as rents have been increasing. Now, across Australia, rents have been on the rise for well over 12 months. In some areas, rents are still growing in value on a month-by-month basis, and I know that's happening in Melbourne. Um, And in fact, the magnitude of that growth is continuing to increase. Here in Brisbane, rents are still growing month on month, but the magnitude of that growth is definitely starting to slow down. And in fact, when we look at housing rents, we were looking at annual growth figures um, of around 12% six months ago. Now that figure's back down around 6% annual growth, looking at the growth figures for rental price increases. There's got to be a reason for that. And this perhaps is one of the things that your data is now starting to you know, unpack. Yes. And what it does is it uncovers a few theories because you don't get that direct immediate correlation when you come up with a theory. One of the theories I had was, okay, as soon as we hit that 30, 31, 32% mark, uh, it's things are going to flatten out in terms of rental price growth. Uh, they do, but not straight away. Usually what happens is uh, it has a flow-on effect to vacancy rates because uh, obviously a lot of uh, landlords, I'm using the term landlord, I hopefully I don't get penalised for that, but uh, the, 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 the landlord has an expectation and often it takes vacancy rates to rise because people can't necessarily afford that rent uh, and therefore rents will adjust accordingly. What my theory is, is that there's been the ripple effect applied to rents. So typically I'm crowded out or pushed out or nudged out of some of the more expensive suburbs as a renter. I move to the next uh, suburb out and so on and so forth. And what we're finding theorized here is that we've ended up this, this ripple effect pushing outwards with those with the in the in the least affordable locations or in terms of the lowest socioeconomic or lower household income at the bottom rung being squeezed the most. So this is all been playing out in front of our eyes over the last 12 months, but there's still a few areas, quite quite a few areas throughout Brisbane uh, that have still seen significant price rises. Um, Mount Upper Mount Gravatt 
a weighted average about 20% in the last 12 months. So that's quite significant. Uh, Inala, Richlands, uh, 26%. A lot of these are areas that going back 12 months, going back 24 months, they were very, very affordable uh, in terms of relative uh, to household income, small percentages. Some of these were as low as 21, 22%. But we're now seeing a number of these markets really start to to get up into the mid 30s in terms of percentage allocated uh, of household income allocated to rent. So uh, we still have a number of markets where you know they're ten percent plus, mm. but it's flattening out. I believe flattening out as a result of not being able to get blood from a stone, uh, and as as markets start to hit that thirty one, thirty two percent for a prolonged period, that's when we start to see vacancy rates kick in or start to rise and then rents start to ease back. Um, and it is all driven by supply and demand. And when you talk about vacancy rates, that is an indication or an indicator of supply of rental properties in that location. And of course, the demand is the number of tenants that would be applying for those properties. So if the demand falls away, and one of the reasons that demand would fall away is because you're reaching affordability limits in that location, if demand falls away and then you start to see stock levels increase, vacancy rates increase, then you do start to see that uh, price softening in terms of rental price growth. And that's something that we talk about on our monthly update podcast. We talk about rental vacancy rates in each region of Greater Brisbane because it's not the same across the board. And sometimes we do see some areas trending upward in terms of rental vacancy and potentially there is alignment with the type of information that you've been collecting because it comes down to affordability constraints, which is really interesting. And that's why I'm fascinated with some of the results that you've been able to um, achieve. The sample size of your study, I mean, this is not a small study. From what I understand, uh, nearly 28,000 advertised rentals across Australia, um, across Queensland, based on my calculations, having looked at the, the data at just under $6,000, not dollars, 6,000 properties. Um, so in Brisbane, um, again, it would be a large volume. I haven't quantified that that volume. This is a lot of data that you've been crunching. Yeah, yeah. And what I'll, this was effectively a, a week and a half to two weeks worth of listings, of rental listings. Uh, moving forward, uh, I will be doing this as a, as a monthly press release. Uh, and the sample sizes will get up to around 100,000. Right. So it'll be very significant. Now, obviously, the stuff that falls out of that, I only keep the residential um, properties in there. I, I trim it back and I you know don't put in things that have got six and seven or eight bedrooms, et cetera. Mm. Uh, and I only keep the stuff that I can collect and, and match the address to the lat long, which then can be paired to the statistical area one. So there are a few things that go into that to filter it down, but you still end up with a good solid 90% of what you started with based on all those all those steps. One thing I will say, and we were reporting on affordability for property values, so that's people buying into the property market um, on a recent podcast based on Queensland data um, that's been put out by PropTrack. They, they run a, an affordability index and it shows, or their data showed that Queensland was the second most affordable state based on current interest rates and the cost of property behind WA and Western Australia, but other states much less affordable. In terms of your study on rental affordability, Queensland ranks much lower amongst other states. Can you tell us a little bit about where, you know, the states are ranking in terms of their affordability? Yeah, rental markets obviously are a lot more responsive. 
Mm. Uh, they move a lot more quickly. So rents can can jump up quite quickly. Um, we saw the Queensland obviously got hit rather hard with that influx of, you know, the exodus from the southern states uh, is still going on, obviously. So I would argue that what's happening in the rental market is correlated and will flow on. So mm. you won't stay relatively affordable for much longer, in mm. my view. So uh, totally overloved, totally undersupplied. Yeah, absolutely. So based on the information that, that you had sent to us prior to recording the podcast, the Australian Capital Territory showcased the highest levels of affordability at 47%, um, followed by Victoria at 31%, the Northern Territory at 40%. But conversely, New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania and Western Australia all exhibited lower affordability rates, all falling under the 20% mark. So um, a big difference between the most affordable state for rental properties um, for tenants being Australian Capital Territory and those at the bottom end. Yeah. So what that metric was, was what's the proportion of that total sample that we're playing with, 26 odd thousand, what percentage of them were at that 30% or lower mm. um, count or measure? And and typically, uh, ACT performed rather well. There's a couple of things interesting going on with the ACT. Obviously, we've got very high socioeconomics, high household income. But equally, it um, has some interesting dynamics in the housing market at the moment. So it's got a pretty reasonable supply going on. Mm. So vacancy rates are a little bit higher and affordability is looking pretty good. So there's a lot less pressure going on in the ACT at the moment. I say at the moment because things can change, often change pretty quickly. Uh, but by and large, uh, because it's it's a relative measure and we're measuring it relative to a very high household income. So it's it's unlikely that we're going to see an exodus of people squeezed in the lower socioeconomic areas of Sydney and moving to Canberra because they won't be able to afford those rents, but the locals can. Ken, what sort of product are we talking, if you break it down a little bit between houses and say the unit market, what is more affordable at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's an interesting measure because um, if you if you split it out by property type, the obvious is that houses are more expensive. But typically, you'll find that there are some locations where a given property type is positioned very close to the city and very expensive. And Terrace is a great example of that. So uh, it's it's hard to isolate just property type without adding to it where is mm. that located. But by and large, you'll find that uh, if we built a lot of units in the outer burbs or in regions, we would deal with this problem mm. uh, because they're cheaper to build. But one of the concerns I do actually have is if the government's got objectives to cre create massive supply, which is terrific, uh, who's it for? Because if we're building $500,000 plus properties, be it allowing for land, allowing for development costs, uh, profits, et cetera, and then say uh, uh, applying a 4% yield, which most investors would, would expect, uh, we're really not dealing with a, an affordable rent at that point. So if you compare the type of rent that you would need for that scenario of a $500,000 property 4% yield, we are significantly above the average household income being able to afford, in terms of a, a rent, a 500k plus property. So we are we're at this crossroads as a country. So how can we build affordable properties to suit 
a very large cohort of people who aren't born to the right parents. And mm. kind of that's kind of where we're at now. We've just created this 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 you know shift between the haves and the have-nots. And that have-not group cohort is getting bigger and bigger by the day. Mm. And, and so my biggest concern is unless we address this in terms of affordability, not just supply, but a, a, affordability, supply of affordable properties at mm. scale, we could end up with a little bit of social unrest in the years to come and nobody wants that. Mm. Yeah, you're not the only one that's reported on, on the fact that that could be the way that we head in the future. And that's, of course, not what we want to see in our free country being Australia, but there needs to be some sort of intervention at some point to ensure that we actually have the number of properties that are available to accommodate the number of people that need homes and with the number of investors that have been leaving the market, especially in Melbourne, Brisbane and Greater Queensland, according to the most recent PIPA investment survey results, um, it is disturbing. We want to see more investment activity come into the market to ensure that there are enough properties available for those people that need to rent that can't otherwise afford to buy their own home. So, something we talked about, Ken, um, just recently on a podcast was um, the change of the way people are probably looking to live as well. So mm. a bit more of the house sharing type of thing. So you, you get a house and you'll throw, not throw, I shouldn't say that, but you, you put in, you know, five people might share the rent on a house becomes a little bit more affordable, you get in a good location, then that will help that affordability side. But that sort oh, of trend absolutely. is probably happening. Yeah, I, I joined a uh, an online webinar on co-op housing. Mm -hmm. So we've got community housing groups, which have been doing a fant fantastic job for many, many years. And they've been carrying or picking up the slack of a lot of the state governments who have effectively abandoned social housing. And there seems to be a return to that now. And especially in New South Wales, the men's governments are really doubling down and doing a good thing there. So looking to boost the percentage of, of social housing. Um, but it's going to take some time. But on the cooperative housing front or the shared housing front, it was wonderful to see a case study done where effectively it was a, a, the, the designer or the architect came on on stage and spoke about how they were being designed and it was effectively uh, you walk into the townhomes effectively in in Hobart walk through and it was a common area and a shared kitchen up front and down the back there were shared gardens and then you know spread out people around and it was wonderful and it was a, a young lady who told her story she was 22 she had a, a, a young child and she spoke about how she was faced with homelessness and now she could afford one of these properties. And I'll tell you what, I nearly teared up. Mm. You know, I, luckily I, the camera wasn't on because people couldn't see it because I <laughs> want to put on the blokey blokey facade. But it was a, truly one of those, you know, it was very emotional. It was a wonderful story. So it would be terrific to see a, a significant mix of this. And I, I think it can only happen if, if, uh, land allocation is aligned with this. If fine, it's very hard too. One of the big themes of this conference was, uh, or webinar was uh, accessing finance. Tough. Mm -hmm. That's probably the toughest bit. So, you know, yes, it's hard to find land, but very possible because what a lot of the uh, local councils do and a lot of the state governments do is they apportion some of it for social, some of it for private investment developers, a proportion of it for co op. A, proportion of it for community housing. So when they're allocating land, they're doing it in, in a balanced way. Uh, case studies were coming out of the UK. So they had a, a representative, an Aussie guy that was working in the UK on this, and it was fascinating. So yeah, so getting the, the land 
pretty straight, not easy, but straightforward. Mm. Finance, not so straightforward. So what we really need is the future fund or the whatever, you know, mm. people who are in that in those domains to really focus on how can we uh, fund this and, and, and create a lot more, a, a significant <laughs> volume of yeah. them. You know, let's have kibbutzes everywhere. Yeah, it's going to take some creative thinking by all levels of government and and the private sector as well to come up with solutions to the ongoing problem that doesn't seem to be resolving, certainly not in the near future. Kent, can I ask in relation to your rental affordability data that you've been collecting, let's look at it at more of a local level, if that's okay, in mm. Brisbane. Um, can you provide some highlights in terms of which suburbs and property types are the most affordable uh, based on the data that you've collected? Yeah, there's effectively there's a, a, a cluster in and around Brisbane City itself. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of look at the map and you, you look at where the, the dots are, they're all in and around the city. There's a, quite a few properties in and around there that might be five or six or $700, but relative to household income, you know, they're coming up at 26% or 27%. So yeah, apartments at Cooparoo uh, are the typical thing. So, you know, units there where your household income might be around fifteen or 1600 uh, affordability sitting right at that cusp of, say, 30%. Um, down to Holland Park West, another example, uh, household income there around $1,400, but, you know, rents around that four $420 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the low lights is when I go to the east around Thornside, et cetera, just how few properties are there. So, you know, when we go to Manly, go out to the east, go to Thornside, you know, Wellington Point, there's really very, very few uh, affordable properties there. So a lot of that's, I mean, yes, there's always been those lower cost, lower price townhomes all the way through that area that were always affordable, but there there, there certainly wasn't enough of them to see this supply, sorry, this surge in demand in recent years. So it appears that that has dried up entirely. And the really, if you look across Brisbane, it's drying up everywhere. Most of it's just clustered in the city. And a lot of that's only because household incomes are higher. Mm -hmm. So what, just to give some clarity to those that are tuning in, this doesn't mean to say that anyone can go and uh, rent a property in these inner city locations uh, just because it's affordable. This is relative to the demographic who are already living in these locations. So we are looking at the advertised rent uh, as a proportion of the amount of income that people that already live in these locations, according to that most recent census data, um, have reported. So uh, just to be clear, if you have been living in the Redlands region, so areas such as Manly, Thornside, Wellington Point, these are the areas where you've indicated you're going to find fewer properties that are going to be within affordability levels from a rental perspective in those locations because it's relative to the incomes that are already reported based on the demographic group in that location. And 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 it's very sad to look at the map and go all the way down to the Gold Coast because effectively affordability has been wiped out. Mm, that's an interesting perspective as well because we see the Gold Coast market uh, largely as a tourist 
um, destination, but there's a lot of people that do live there. And obviously, you know, if it's hard for them to find affordable accommodation, where do they get pushed to? And this is the real social problem that we're faced with. Where do these people go if they simply cannot find affordable rental accommodation where they already live? They may have established lifestyles there. They may have children in local schools. Uh, you know, they may have their, their job nearby. What happens when they can no longer afford to rent in their local community? Well, there are families. Uh, we've we've met a, a local school teacher, um, a friend of our daughter's, and um, she stated that in in her school there were two families. This is in the Newcastle area, two families currently living in cars. Mm, so that's two that. that they know about. There could yeah. be more. So you, uh, you know, apply that. You know, two or three families for every school in the country living in cars. And so you know, then we've got people who are lounge surfing or living in caravans at the back of people's houses so this you know homelessness has always kind of been mentioned and a lot of you know a lot of people have worked very hard to kind of put it on the radar and get people to talk about it but i think it's it's significantly bigger than it, what any of us appreciate yeah absolutely it it's certainly distressing for those that you know, are really struggling out there. And there's more and more people that might find themselves in that situation. And it's certainly something that needs to be addressed. Kent, are there any property types? Again, if we look at Brisbane, are there any property type trends? Are we seeing one property type more affordable than another property type? Are units or townhouses more affordable than houses? And if so, is that relative to different locations? Yeah, look, there's certainly that there's a standout that you know the the villas, a lot of villas and townhomes where where they've always existed, um, and I think it's that geographical component as well. They've always been quite good in terms of affordability, especially relative to houses. But but it's a really interesting thing because I, I've been kind of working in the investor circles as you do, and yes. and it stands out that a lot of people have realised that they can start to charge house rents for villas. So they're buying a villa or, a, you know, these flats, et cetera, that might be 20, 30, 40 years old, low maintenance, pretty easy, easy to renovate, and then can can rent them for house prices. So that's a really interesting shift I'm seeing where, you know, rents for, for villas and, and uh, flats are surging mm. on the back of the fact that, you know, houses have become so unaffordable and so rare. So the standout obviously is, is units. You know, a, a, units in the right location are the key to affordability. And you know, uh, houses now um, they're, they're just so rare. Mm, yeah. Just- and I wonder how soon that gap between affordability uh, between houses and units may close because of that exact reason that they are a more affordable product right now. So more and more demand is shifting towards that product type. And that's why we're seeing such strong price growth in rents in that unit segment of the market. I know here in Brisbane, we're still tracking at annual growth rates of 14% across the greater Brisbane region compared to 6.4% on an annual basis for house rent growth. So that's quite a big difference. And when we looked six months ago, unit rents were tracking above 15%, house rents house rents were just above 10%. So it's been a consistent trend of higher rental price growth in that unit segment of the market. The gap may be closing for that exact reason that the demand has been shifting now for a number of or perhaps the last couple of years. Well, the, the, the yield has been a fascinating measure 
um, to look at just how much yields have increased over the years. I remember using this same map that I've created the rental affordability on a point map or a dot map with dots on it. Um, it's it originated as a yield map, and I'd, I'd effectively I started out about three or four years ago when I first started doing that. I had a cutoff at three and a half percent and above, mm. and then and that gave me a pretty rich map with lots of dots all over the country. And then I went to four and a half percent cutoff because it was just too busy. Then I went to five and a half. You know, so that same map now is probably got a lower threshold of about six percent because yields have just risen so much. So rents have certainly outstripped price growth, and there does seem to be at this point no end to that, other than the affordability piece that we launched with. So there will be markets where there's there's still room to grow because affordability sits below 30% of household income. Mm. So if it were me advising somebody, yes, you've got all those other geographical considerations, but this should be one of your considerations. You should throw in affordability as a key metric to say, will that will the market be relatively stable? Will the local economy be relatively stable because there's money left over to go and buy a handbag or go and buy a bag of chips or go to a restaurant or whatever. Mm. And a lot of markets in and around Sydney where people are heavily, heavily squeezed, people aren't spending on retail mm. at all. Yeah. So that has a flow-on effect. So you want affordability. We don't want people spending 35% of household income on rents. We want them spending ideally 25%. Mm. The, can you talk about the maps? And just for our listeners, obviously, I'm sandwiched between a couple of data nerds here, so that's probably why my voice hasn't been as <laughs> as vocal in this podcast. But you you do mention maps here a little bit. We'll share to our listeners. Um, um, you've been really generous to to share some information with us. We'll share that with our listeners in the show notes as well, so they can get an understanding of those maps that you're talking about. Um, so they, they'll if they look at that, they'll understand a little bit more. Um, as I did when I when I had a look at it before we had a chat today. Um, and it's really interesting, the information that you do put together as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I love having uh, the ability to talk through new research and unpack new trends that we're starting to see. And, of course, with the changing environment that we've experienced off the back of COVID, we've seen this shift in the way household formation started to trend towards smaller households now perhaps we might see a shift back to larger households on the back, on the back of affordability constraints for for people that are out there looking for a home whether that's an investment that they're um, buying whether that's a home they're moving into or whether that's a property that they're going to be renting so um, all brilliant to to unpack your insights and and share all of that data with our audience so thanks for coming on again thank you thanks for the invite um, Kent, thanks very much. Again, as Melinda said, um, a, a massive amount of information and data. I see the information that you do share to Melinda um, and you two just love bouncing those emails backwards and forwards with all that, that data and information. It is quite mind-blowing that I just see all these numbers and everything else, but it makes sense. So um, well done. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, and what you do, the work at, at um, Suburb Trends, I think is, is fantastic as well. Um, thanks very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. We, let's not leave it too long before we chat again next time um, and we'll, we'll get you back on for another chat. That I'm sure our listeners love the information that you share as well. So thank you. I'll let Melinda wrap it up as usual and say a final thanks. 
um, from me. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now. Thank yes, you. Kent, I will say that I'm looking forward to following these trends on a month-by-month basis. I think this is fascinating data and um, congratulations to you and your team for being able to pull together um, such accurate information that will help to potentially guide policy change and you know, hopefully it will be information that the government will stand up and take notice of because this is really important. So we really appreciate you coming on today and sharing these insights. Thanks, Melinda. As always, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. If you have enjoyed our content, please don't hesitate to leave us a review and don't forget to uh, tell friends and family that our podcast exists. If they are looking at Brisbane property, this is the place to come to to get the most up-to-date and relevant information about our capital city market. We look forward to speaking with you again next week. Until then, have a great week and bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.